So we have been, these last couple weeks, walking through some of the major portions in Genesis. And what we want to do as a church is we want to walk our way to the cross. Because some people think that the Old Testament is just old law, there it is, God, lightning bolts, and then flowers arise, and you got the New Testament. And there's the cross. But listen, church, the whole counsel of God is always about the cross. It's pointing to the cross. Even in Genesis 3.15, we saw there's that little hint of the cross. We're working our way to the cross. 3.3.11, you see this ply, this, this emptiness, it's all the way to the cross. And then chapter 12, we began looking at the way of the cross. We've been looking at some of the foundations that Genesis lays out for us as an introduction of the cross. We even started talking about in creation and even in the fall of man, there is grace. Always remember that. There is grace in the Old Testament. Some of you want to pull up the Old Testament and go, oh, here's this big old archaic book. There's dust. Oh, I remember this story. Oh, I don't remember that story. It's about grace. God enters into relationship with humanity. He creates us in His image. Even in sin, they're able to have children. There's grace all throughout the Old Testament. In creation, we saw grace. And then in chapter 12, we saw the promise of God. How beautiful that is. The promise of God. And then we saw that there was good news, bad news, and the great news is God enters into relationship. Then there's the belief of man where Abram trusted and believed and just went and followed and just said, yeah, I will follow this promise. Even though he didn't know where he was going, didn't know what was going to happen. He went, traveled great length, even went way down south. Negev, that's the word south, down in dry land. He didn't know what was happening, but he trusted and he believed God. Chapter 12, we looked at chapter 15. Chapter 15 is a great chapter. And then the covenant of God. God is all about chapter 17. Remember, this is so important. God is about restoration in the relationship. He's all about bringing restoration in the relationship. And he makes this promise. He makes many great things. And I've said this. He says, I will will make you a great nation. You'll have many children, descendants. Kings will come from you. And all these great promises. But you remember what I said, probably the greatest one is this. I will be your God. And you'll be my people. He'll lose it, and we're going to see that throughout the Old Testament. In fact, we'll even when we end in Revelation, we'll see Revelation 21, he says that again. This great promise of God saying, I'm not just a God up here lofty, and you're these people do my doings, but I'm a God who's in relationship. I will be your God, and you will be my people. We're in relationship. The beauty of Genesis, these great foundational things. And then last week, we, the last two weeks, we've been looking at the trust of man. Genesis 22, where Abraham takes his son, and God says, sacrifice him. And remember the line I said, obedience is evidence that your faith is real. Remember that. Obedience is evidence that your faith is real. In fact, if you would turn with me to James chapter 2. I know you're just kind of thumbing through Genesis. James chapter 2. James chapter 2, James is just after Hebrews, 
James chapter 2, and we have it up on the screen here. James 2, starting with verse 21. Again, one of my goals in this time that we walk through the Old Testament looking at the cross, I want to continue to help you realize the correlation of the old and the new. It's not just two separate books where you just kind of like, oh, there's the old, there's the new. We pull them together. In fact, the Old Testament is a Christian book because it points to the cross, and because of the New Testament, it's a fulfillment of the old. You put them together. You can't just separate the two. James chapter 2, look at verse 21. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? a summary of what we did the last two weeks you see verse 22 here you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did verse 23 and the scripture was fulfilled that says abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness and that comes from genesis chapter 15 abraham We've been looking at his life. And in the end of this, we realize that God provides. Trust, obey. Why? Because God provides. I encourage you, if you have time, if you have internet, go and listen to those sermons again. Remind yourself of these foundational truths. Trust, obey. Why should we obey a God? He provides for you. He is a provider. You know, as a preacher, I feel tension each week within me as I open up the Scripture. I've kind of, if you go to my home, you'll see I have a huge sheet of paper where I've kind of mapped out where we're going. I've kind of got certain chapters down. In fact, my goal was to only preach two sermons out of Genesis. Now we're in the sixth sermon already. So I have this, this crazy tension within me as I open, some pastors aren't like this, but when I open Scripture, I just go, oh, let's just do that one verse. I'm a verse at a time kind of a guy because there's so much wealth in the Word of God. So I have this tension each week where I just want to slow down and just take some time and look, especially at the gospel message in the Old Testament. So today's going to be a tough day. This may surprise you. Today we're going to look at 20 chapters. Wow. That doesn't mean we're going to be here till 9 o'clock at night. Don't worry. Some of you are like, okay, wow. But there are times where we need to kind of just give an overview. Not because it's insignificant, not because we're going to say, well, that's not important, but because we're looking at the theme of the cross in the Old Testament, I want to just kind of look at a general overview of 20 chapters today. Will this be done? Last week I read Henry V, or it was two weeks ago, Shakespeare, the intro of his little prologue before the play began and he said something like this he said can we cram years into an hourglass that's what we're going to do today 20 chapters into just a short amount of time and that's going to be hard for me so now the tension is extreme so this week i've been just moaning going lord why do we oh there's just so much here but bear with me as we do this and i need to say this I almost want to sit down as I say this. I love to preach. You've, you've seen that. 
I get excited. And most sermons, I just go, this is unbelievable. Look what's in here. But today, I'll even grab a chair and sit down for a moment. Let me be honest. I don't get this one. This is the message where I just sit down and I just go, I don't get it. I love theology. I love pontificating upon great theological weighty things. But this is the one that catches me. This is the one where I just go, I don't get this. I just don't understand what's happening here. So this is the area, one of the areas. There's many areas I don't understand. I've got a pretty small brain. But this is a sermon that I just don't get. So I desperately need to pray. So pray with me before we get in. Father God, you know my mind, my heart, my spirit, my energy is so frail. I'm just a boy. But praise God. Thank you, Lord, that you have the Spirit dwelling within me. What, what a great mystery. And Lord, as we approach these stories, as we look at some of these things in Scripture today, how this is such a great mystery, I don't understand. So Lord, in my lack of understanding, I pray that that does not impede what you have to speak to our hearts today. So put me aside, but use my words, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. When I was in college, I didn't really like college because he had a study. <laughs> I just, but I did it to do it. But my, one of my favorite classes, courses I took was a course. I, my, my major was youth ministry. That's why I'm just kind of crazy. It fits for me. Youth ministry with a minor in biblical studies. And then on the side, I started doing journalism. You may not notice that with some of my writings, my spelling errors, if it wasn't for that. Is, yeah, just my writing. Something. But I love to write. I love to just craft different things and just write stuff. And one of my favorite classes was creative writing. Wow, this is great. We get to go and just create cool stories. And I just, I love writing these bizarre stories and stuff. And often in the beginning, I would just write these cool stories. I thought were really good, and I kind of get a low grade. And the teacher would say, slow down, Cody. You like to write and you have a gift, but slow down and do this show don't tell i was like what show the story don't tell the story well what do you mean and she sat down with me one time in her little office she said cody you're, you're just giving every detail you're just spelling it out as your brain don't just tell everything show it in a way that keeps the audience at bay of going oh, what's next oh what's going on don't just tell it, show it. And it took me some time to figure out what it's to, because I'm all about show and tell. When I was a little kid, show and tell, I pulled out all the goodies. I was the kid that brought 30 things out of just one thing. Show the story. Don't just tell the story. And 
we are going to look at a lot of the narratives in Scripture. There's many different types of writing, different types of prose. There's, there's historical writing. There's poetry. We'll get into some poetry as we look at some of the writings in the Old Testament. But we're going to primarily look at the stories of the Old Testament. These are the classic stories you hear in Sunday school. These are the ones that hold some of the great weight in the Old Testament. But listen, these stories are not primarily about man. Because what makes a classic today you go to my house i finally got all my books unboxed and i have our guest room and my wife calls it the guest room i call it the library because i've got all my books jammed in that room in fact i have a guest here a friend of mine eric he had to sleep on the bed and there are books everywhere just it's the library not the guest room okay and i have a shelf full of the classics what makes a classic a classic this is what makes a classic a classic what people say is they tell of the human condition. That's what makes a classic classic. You read some of the classics in school, it speaks of the human condition. Listen to this. What makes the Old Testament stories more than what we define as classics is this. It just does not speak of the human condition and end there. You read some of the, the great classics that we have written in the Western world, they're kind of empty. There's no redemption. Here's the beauty of Scripture. They speak of the human condition and result in God coming to redeem humankind. He has a plan of redemption. It's not just speaking of our, oh, there is the bad story, but we have a plan of redemption. And some of the great stories are tragedies. Some of those are kind of the more gripping stories. In fact, I've mentioned Shakespeare. He wrote a lot of stuff. He wrote plays. He wrote comedies. He wrote romance stuff. Oh, my, my wife likes to watch some of those. I like the tragedies. What are the tragedies? What are some of the famous ones that... Romeo and what? Hamlet. Some of these... Macbeth. All of these are the tragic stories. They have, they have this crisis and this resolution. But here's the beauty of Scripture. The crisis is you. And the resolution is God. Remember that. The crisis is you. And the resolution is God and his beautiful work in his plan of redeeming history. And here it is. Here's the part I do not get. Here's the part that makes me sit down and scratch my head and just go, I don't understand this. In the stories of tragedy, we never hear, be of good cheer. When you read a tragic story at the end of Roman Juliet, there's no be of good cheer. He dies, she dies, it's bad. You know, it's, just, it's not good. <laughs> Hamlet, what happens at the end of Hamlet? He dies. There's no be of good cheer. In Scripture, we have be of good cheer. Because Christ dies for us. But the part I don't understand, and here's the mystery, there's many mysteries I don't understand, but here's the one, that God would choose someone weak and frail and use them as a part of his redeeming plan. So here's the title of my sermon. I'll give you the short title and the long title. Are you ready for this? I was thinking, you know, God uses people who fail to fulfill his purpose. That's just, how can God use people who fail to fulfill his purpose? Here's my sermon title. 
God does not fail with failures. Here's the long title. God does not fail with failures like Pastor Cody and Pastor John and you. You like the shorter version, right? Yeah, okay. God has a plan of redeeming history. Even in the Old Testament, before man was created, he had a plan. Plan A, he doesn't have a plan B, plan C, oh, that didn't work, plan, you know, okay, work. Plan A, he is coming to redeem mankind. And in that plan, he uses frail people, failures, to help fulfill his purposes. Because God does not fail. I don't get that. I don't get that. God does not fail with failures like you and I. Why would he choose someone like me? I don't get it. So what we're going to do is we're going to cruise through, somehow, Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis 32. Wow, it's like a seminar is going to happen. You feel like, oh, we'll keep it short. If you need a Bible, put your hand up. Pastor John's got a Bible. So this week, as you read through Genesis, you're going to get chapters 12 through like 37, 38, 39. You will see some of the great patriarchs, some of these great stories. Some of them you'll read and you'll be like, oh, I remember that story. Some of them you'll read and you'll be like, ooh, that's a dark story. They really did that? And here's the thing. We today sometimes want to make heroes be heroes who are not heroes. In fact, do we even have heroes today? You go to a high school and you ask who are your hero, and you may go, wow, that's not a hero at all. They have no redeeming qualities of a hero. Many of the people that kids look up today are not heroes at all. There's nothing noble about what they do. They're just hip and cool and do, in fact, unnoble things, right? That's just a shame. But in Scripture, as you read this week through the book of Genesis, you will see some of the heroes of our faith. In fact, as you read through Genesis, we have three names that pop up. Abraham, okay, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, these are the names we'll look at as we go through Exodus, as we go through some of the other books. We'll go back to these names. These are the names that come up often. And in our minds, we go, yeah, they're the heroes of the faith. They're the patriarchs. Let me just tell you, they were not perfect. God still uses imperfect people like them and like you. And that's good news. Praise God, right? Because we'd be in trouble. I would be in serious trouble. One thing we'll notice as we read through the stories of the patriarchs and their families is that these people were not perfect. In fact, listen to this. At times, as I read through this, here's some of the words I wrote down. At times, they were selfish, liars, deceitful, fearful, manipulating. Does that sound like people in your family? Does that sound like you sometimes, if you're willing to admit it? Let's look at Abraham. He's the man of faith. Chapter 12, leave your place. 
Leave. Go, and I will bless you. He goes. He obeys. What a man of faith. Chapter 15, he has faith. It's his faith that reckons him to God. That's how he's righteous. Not by what he does. Not by works. The law comes hundreds of years later. He's counted righteous by his faith. But you know what? He was not perfect. As you read this week through Genesis, you'll see that he lied about his wife. He gets to a place, oh, you know, they're gonna, you're, you're just so beautiful. If they find out you're my wife, they're going to kill me. And, oh, this is going to be bad, and they're going to try to take you. Instead, how about, you're my sister. Oh, this is my sister. He's lying. Here, this man of faith begins to lie and doesn't trust the Lord completely that the Lord would take control of the situation. So here it is. Let me say this and listen. If you are a liar like Abraham, be of good cheer. Number one, you can be forgiven. Remember that. You can be forgiven. Number two, God will not fail with a failure like you because it's not about you. Sit down in the chair, Cody. It's not about you. You know what? Sometimes people, when they preach these kind of sermons, they want to say, oh, God is going to use you. You are so important. You're so great. You should have a perfect life. And oh, you should be the best of who you are. And they have a nice smile with nice shiny teeth. And they write fun books about that. Listen, it's not about you. It's all about the fame of God's name. It's all about you. God has chosen you. You can be forgiven. And out of that forgiven, if he's chosen you, he will not fail with you. He's going to use you, not for your... So you can be like, look at me. It's for him and the fame of his name. So let me say this again. If you're a liar like Abraham, how many of you have ever lied before? Great, all those with your hands down, that shows that you're still doing it. Listen. If you are a liar like Abraham, be of good cheer. Number one, you can be forgiven. Number two, God will not fail with a failure like you because it's not about you, it's all about God and his fame. God will keep his promises regardless of the character of his people. Maybe write that down. God will keep his promises promises regardless of the character of his people because you're going to read in genesis that these people were characters abraham's a liar who does abraham marry anyone sarah sarah's perfect right wow here's sarah she doesn't believe that god's promise You'll have children. She's 75 years old about, you'll have children. I'm really old, God. 70, she's 80s. I'm not going to have a child. What are we going to do? So instead of trusting God, instead of just depending on Him, she, in her own prerogative, in dealing with her issues, says, you know what? We need to have an heir. So how about you take Hagar and have a son with him, with her? Have a son, yeah, that would be interesting. Have a son with Hagar. Instead of trusting God, instead of saying, God, you will do it through me, I'm going to be 90 some years old and I'll have a baby. Instead of trusting God, her own ways. I will try it my own way. Here's Hagar. 
have a child with Hagar. She was also quick to blame others. You'll read this week that she was a blamer. How many of you blame other people? How many of you are quick to blame? No, they're okay. Only one hand goes up. Okay. She's quick to blame people. Listen to this. Here it is. If you're untrusting and quick to blame people, like Sarah, be of good cheer. Number one, please remember, you can be forgiven. Number two, God will not fail with a failure like you because life is not about you. It's about God and his fame and his plan of redemption. God will keep his promise regardless of the character of his own people. Abraham and Sarah, they have a child, the child of promise. And who is that? Isaac. Is Isaac perfect? (laughs) No. Like father, like son. You'll see and read that he lies like his father. And many times, instead of taking the lead, he's supposed to be the lead of the family, many times his wife Rebecca runs the house. And he's very passive and kind of just says, okay, whatever. He's the one who compromises. Instead of dealing with confrontation, he compromises. Instead of taking, when there's something going on, there's tension, he's the one to just compromise and just forsake what he should do and just kind of compromises. You'll see stories like this. How many of you are like that? When there's tension, you just like, I'll compromise instead of going through the hard times. He plays favorites between his sons. Listen, if you are a liar, if you have passivity in the role God has given you, if you have issues like Isaac, be of good cheer. Number one, you can be forgiven. Number two, God will not fail with a failure like you because it's, life is not about you. It's about God and his fame. God will keep his promises regardless of the character of his people. Isaac gets married to Rebecca. Rebecca is someone who's not perfect like you. She wanted to get things done, but not always with the right reasons. She's kind of those go-getters. You'll read it and you'll be like, she's a go-getter. Something's going on. She'll just kind of jump in and get things going, but not always with the right motives and right reasons. She's crafty, but cunning. She's placed favorites between her sons, favored Jacob, and planned to ensure that he would be the one. Because that's what was said. The, the older will serve the younger, so I'm going to make sure that happens my way instead of just trusting God and allowing him to do it. She does it her own way. She's a deceiver. How many of you have deceived people before? Okay, now we're getting personal, huh? (laughs) Please listen. As you read through these stories this week, if you read through Genesis, remember this. If you're cunning, you're full of deceit, and play favorites like Rebecca, be of good cheer. Number one, what is it? You can be forgiven. Number two, God will not fail with a failure like you. Because life is not about you. It's about the fame of God's name. And God will keep his promises regardless 
of the character of his people. So they have children. They're twins. You read through the story, and some of you recall some of the story where they have the child. Who's the first child? Esau. Esau comes out, but who's grabbing his heel? Jacob. Even in his name, we see who he was. Jacob means he grasps the heel. He's a deceiver. How many of you like a name deceiver? Hey, deceiver, would you come and help me out? Yeah, sure, I'll help you out. You go to the banker and his name says deceiver. Uh, I'm going to go to the next teller. What? His name, even in his name it's there. First he's grabbing at the heel and then he's grabbing at the birthright. He's a liar and deceiver. If you are a liar and a deceiver like Jacob, be of good cheer. Number one, you can be forgiven. And number two, God will not fail with a failure like you because it's not about you. It's about God and His fame. God will keep His promise regardless of the character of His people. I mean, you read, you're going to read through Genesis. You're going to say, how can this, this isn't going to work out. It's not going to happen. God's people keep failing. And that's the beauty of this work we're going to do in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament. And God says this, I am your God. You will be my people. God does not fail. They keep failing. They keep failing. Once in a while they're good. But they keep failing. They keep failing. And here's the beauty. I can't wait till we get to the prophets especially Jeremiah and Isaiah, where God just finally says, that's enough. Something has to change. God cannot change. Remember that. God does not change. Instead, He changes us. And there's a new covenant coming. He gives us a new heart. A new name. And that's the beauty of it. Jacob's name was what? Deceiver. What does his name get changed to? Israel. There's newness even in deceitful, deceptive people. God will not fail with you. You're going to read these stories, and in these stories we have many tragedies, and we're reminded that in these stories is the lineage of Jesus Christ. (laughs) From Jesus came before him there were liars in his family. There's a prostitute. There's cheaters. And out of that comes the Messiah. And here's the mystery to me. Turn in the New Testament to the book of Ephesians. One of my favorite books. Oh, such a great book. Ephesians chapter 2. This week, as you read through Genesis, you'll read some of these stories. And you'll see how God sees these people who fail. And, and they just they, they blunder and they just they do horrible things. But God comes in his plan of redemptive history and does his work. I've been reading these stories to my children out of this Bible encyclopedia. And I love this little line here 
that I read last night. Jacob is wrestling with the angel. You'll read that soon. If you haven't read it already, he's wrestling and then he realizes, well, this is, you know, something that isn't normal. What's going on here? And his name changes. Listen to this. A change of name meant a change of position. For a man's name expressed his work or state in life. Who are you? I know my failures every day. I see them. And I've kind of joked like, oh, if you're a liar like so-and-so, if you're deceitful, some of you are. Some of you are still cunning. You like to manipulate. You're in a marriage that is just sometimes, there's a lot of tension because you like to not be in the role you should be. You're one who doesn't want to serve and submit and give your life but you think it's all about you. God has come to number one, there can be forgiveness. And number two, He can still use you. Here's a verse that I just, wow. It's after a famous passage in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll start with verse 8. This is such it's one of, the, one, of the, one of the sections of Scripture that helped change church history, especially during the Reformation, in many, many great ways. Because people thought it was about doing works, doing penance, doing a bunch of stuff, doing good deeds just to do good works. And that will get my way to heaven. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast. It's all about God. It's through faith. Amen? And then we got verse 10. Let me just say a little bit about this verse. Sometimes I see this verse on cute little posters. Like, look over there. That's a cool poster to me, as you can tell, the Fuel Up one there with the Packers guy on there. Of course, Pastor Cody would like that. He's from Wisconsin. You get posters with butterflies or cute things with this first part of the verse only. And sometimes they leave out the last part. It says this, For we are God's workmanship. Oh, I'm His workmanship. We are His, in some translations say, masterpiece. Oh, I, it's, it's so me. Listen to this. You are God's workmanship you belong to him he's created you he's designed you and guess what even in your failures god will use you for his purpose amen praise the lord you are his workmanship even when you have failed he will still use a failure like you it's all about god it's not about you remember that it's not about how cool and how righteous you can build yourself up to be you are god's masterpiece not your masterpiece Get that right away. Okay? We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Here it is. Listen to this. Most of those posters leave the rest of the result. Here is why. Look at this. We have been created. We have been designed. Even in the midst of your failures and sin. Why? Created in Christ Jesus 
to do good works. Guess what, church? Even in the midst of your failures, God will use you to do good works for his fame, for his purpose. God will use someone like you, no matter how young you are or how old you are. Even if you're the greatest failure in this church or you're the holiest one that can walk on water. God, listen to this, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and it doesn't end there, which God prepared in advance for you. You already have stuff to do. He's prepared in advance for you to be His. Isn't that great? So church, listen. I encourage you this week, as you read through these stories of deceitful, lying, cunning, crafty, fearful people, Read it and go, I can do that too. I have done that. What's the first thing you should think? Number one, you can be forgiven. And I encourage some of you, this might be hard for some of you to hear, especially for some of you older people, because I'm learning this the older I get. The older I get, the things and failures and sin I've done in the past, it's easy for me just to let them go and let them just be on the back burner and be done with. And I have yet to seek God's forgiveness. So some of you older people, listen to me. There may be things in your life that years ago, 20, 30 years ago, you were cunning and crafty and manipulative and you've done wrong things. And now you've got a new life and things are pretty. You can be forgiven. I'm not some person I'm saying, oh, you are forgiven. I kind of put that clause in there to say, You need to do something about it. You can be forgiven. So please, every one of you, think about your past. And if there are things you've done in the past you need to make right with God, do not hesitate. Get them right with God. 20, 30 years ago, if there's things you've done and you haven't asked for forgiveness, you need to get right with God. Get right with God, and here's the tough one, and maybe... You need to get right with people that you hurt 20, 30 years ago. Dang, this is a tough sermon, isn't it? You can be forgiven. Seek God while He may be found. Because tomorrow, you may not wake up. Life is that quick. Seek forgiveness. So look at your heart. Are there things you have in your life? As you read through Genesis, you go, oh, that reminds me of that. Stop, ask the Lord to forgive, and in His great mercy, He forgives. That's the beauty of God. Like that, it's done. And as you awaken your mind to these things, you can be forgiven and then remind yourself, God will use someone like you. Trust me, if Pastor John and I got up here like the long sermon title, God will use failures like Pastor Cody and Pastor John, we would sit here and go, yep, here's how we've been idiots. Here's how we are fools. Because we are not perfect men. Far from it. But God uses us. So if you feel like you are still a liar, still manipulating, still cunning and crafty and deceitful, 
and untrusting, you're not trusting in the Lord, today is the day to say, I'm done. I want to trust you, Lord. Because you've been created to be His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works. We're not saved by works, we're saved for works. Get that in you. We're not saved by doing good things. Okay, I'll do good things. I'll dress nice and pretty to come to church and here I am. I'm righteous before you, God. Now save me. I'm not saved by works. I'm saved to do works, good works that He's prepared in advance for you to do. And listen, this may be the greatest week of your life. If you start realizing that you have been redeemed by Him, you're forgiven, and that will free you, you will go out, and if you realize He's prepared works for you to do, this could be the greatest week where you're like, I'm yours, Lord, use me in any possible way. And things will happen. Mighty things for the kingdom. You can be forgiven, and God will use you not for you, but for Him, for His purposes. So read Genesis this week. Read it out loud with your family. Read it to kids. Get together. Read it again and again. And learn these stories about God's promises. He will not fail. Because it's not about you. You ever hear this line that says, God helps those who help themselves? <laughs> Every time I hear that, I just I want to laugh out loud. Sometimes I do if it's someone that I can be respectful to. Listen, God helps those who trust Him. Not who help themselves. Who trust him think of that when you read through genesis it's people who trust him and we'll continue through some more stories in genesis next week let's pray